not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And then in Galatians 5.25 in the Amplified says this, If we live by the Holy Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If by the Holy Spirit we have our life in God, let us also go forward walking in line, our conduct controlled by the Spirit. And so this morning, I want to take a look at walking in the Spirit. How do you and I walk in the Spirit? How many of you have heard this term that we ought to walk in the Spirit before? Raise your hand. If you've heard this term, we ought to walk in the Spirit. Several folks here have heard that. And so what does that mean that we ought to walk in the Spirit? Well, the Greek word here for walking in the Spirit is the Greek word stokio, and it means this. To proceed in rank and order like a soldier or to go in order. Last night, Heather and I went to uh, Josh Lichty's soccer game. And uh, it's been a while since I've been to a soccer game, so it was a lot of fun. But it was freezing cold outside. Our blood has not thickened. And so everybody else probably there thought that it was uh, warm and we were freezing. Still have that southernness in us, I guess. But uh, anyway, as we're watching... It's interesting, and I'll relate this to soccer, it's interesting that uh, everybody on the team has their, has their place and their position to play. And uh, it was interesting to watch the dynamics that certain ones had certain positions that they would play and certain roles that they would play throughout the night, and they knew their limitation within their role. They didn't go outside of those roles or those, those expectations, and so they functioned together as a team as a result of that. Everybody on the team had their place to play. And, of course, it was a great game. We got there second half and then, um, or right during intermission, actually. And then, um, then we had the, you know, the, the two kids are, are going at it. They were, the two teams were going at it, and the, these two kids go running to headbutt, headbutt the ball. It was probably the, the best play of the night, in my opinion. They both go at it, and the, the, the team member from Josh's team goes up and headbutts the ball and collides with the opposing team member's head. And where we were sitting, you could hear the, the sound of like two cue balls hitting together. You know, you could hear the smack of the heads coming together. I'm sure you all find that very pleasant. And, uh, you know, of course, the one kid's, you know, out cold for a few seconds. His head just kind of rolls over. And you're like, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to go down there and raise the dead here in a second. And uh, I was getting excited for a moment. But anyway... Um, I digress. All of that to say that everybody on the team had their part to play. That was my favorite part in the, in the whole game. And uh, to see them, forget about the fact that Josh's team won. I just got to see somebody butt heads with the other, literally butt heads with the other person. And, um, and so we all have our part to play. We all have a, a position and an order that each of us are to play. And the Holy Spirit helps us to walk in order, to walk and fulfill our position and place in the body of Christ. Each of us have a, a, have a very important part to play. Each of us have a place to walk, a place to, to walk in order and, and come under submission to the Holy Spirit. Four things on how we walk in the Spirit. First off, we have to walk with purpose. When you begin to walk in the Spirit, you have to know where you're headed, what you're doing, walking, where you're going. We went out a couple of, a uh, few months back before we moved here, we had a men's retreat out in the woods, and I was out walking through the woods late at night. It was dark. You couldn't see anything. One of my friends and I, we just decided we'd go through the woods and see what was out there as we're walking along. Have you ever been in the woods at night and walking and you feel things coming and sticking to you? And all of a sudden you begin to realize you're walking through those spider webs and God only knows what else is out there. 
And so at one point we thought, you know, it might be wise for us to turn our phone on just to get some light to see what we're walking into. So we pulled out the phone, and right as we were getting ready to take a step, there was a big old spider's nest, spiders all over the web. And we were like, well, maybe we ought to turn back. This wasn't such a good idea anyway. And so when you're out for a journey, you have to be observant and watchful of all these things. The first thing is you've got to know where you're going. Is this really the journey that I'm on, and what journey am I on? Secondly, we've got to have observation. We need to be watchful of what we're doing and where we're going. When you're walking in the Spirit... As we're on this journey together, you need to be observant of the things around you. Who's around you? What's going on around you? Thirdly, balance. Now, I relate this to uh, in our natural walking. When you walk with balance, your eyes and your ears begin to work together. And, and if, you, if, you, um, if, you're, if, you, if you've ever been hit, I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to say here. If you ever get hit like that kid, if you ever get hit in the side of your head... It knocks your balance off a little bit. The, the hearing uh, gets messed up and it, you get a little dizzy and off, off center. And so we have to have balance. I say that that is our discernment. We have to have spiritual discernment about what's going on around us and be aware of our circumstances. Ephesians says, therefore, that we are to take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand firm. That we have the ability to have balance in the days that are evil around us. That's walking in the Spirit. Sec- or fourthly, we walk in the Spirit by taking action. Step-by-step action. You know, you don't end up living a Spirit-filled life, walking in the Spirit, walking free from addiction, walking free from the things of your past, just by standing still. If, you have a, if there's an area in your life that God's working on, maybe, maybe like last week we talked about releasing offense. Maybe you're dealing with offense or hurt or maybe, maybe there's bondage in your life or addictions in your life. You don't get free from that from just standing there and doing nothing. If you're going to get from point A to point B, you have to begin to put your feet one in front of the other and walk. It may be simple baby steps, just like being a Christian. It's simple baby steps. You begin to pray. You read the word. You worship. You begin to put one foot in front of the other. Walking in the Spirit is the same thing. And so as we talk about living a Spirit-filled life, living a life full of the Holy Spirit, you have to begin to take action. You have to begin to be, walk with purpose. You have to begin to be observant, walk with balance, and you have to begin to take action. It may be a little uncomfortable. Maybe, you haven't, maybe you've stood in that same place for a long time, and you were comfortable standing right there in that one place, and now all of a sudden you're being challenged to walk with God a little bit deeper, a little bit further out. Maybe he's calling you to walk out on the water. How many of you have always said or heard, oh, I want to walk on the water with Jesus, but it really takes just getting out of the boat. It really takes making that first step and saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. Get out of the boat and walk on the water. So we have to have action. How do we walk in the Spirit, or what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? First off, we have to understand how we're made. Each of us are made spirit, soul, and body. This is what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Everybody say completely. Completely. I heard my wife. Everybody say completely. Completely. God wants to sanctify you completely. He wants to make you completely His. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body 
be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord. And so a lot of times in church we talk about our, our spiritual man and we talk about our, our, our natural man. We talk about being born again. But there is this dynamic that we talk very little about and that is our soulish man. That is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so we have to understand that if we're going to walk in the spirit, we have to understand how we are made. Spirit, soul, and body. And we've got a, a diagram. I, I've tried to put some together, together some diagrams for this, and you'll see those on the screen. But prior to salvation, our spirit man was dead to Christ. The Bible says that in Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, the washing, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so we are made alive at salvation. We are renewed, regenerated is the Bible term. The Holy Spirit comes and regenerates our spirit man. We were dead to Christ and made alive through the Holy Spirit. And then our soulish man, our mind, will, and emotions were in bondage to sin. And there's, there's a lot of teaching and debate on, the, on freedom of the will and such. And this is what freedom, in my opinion, that whole debate is all about. Prior to salvation... Your will was in bondage to sin. There was nothing that you wanted to do more than to live in sin. Whether, whether you, some of you, uh, just a reality check this morning, before you got born again, you wanted to sin. It didn't matter how good of a person you were, didn't matter how, how positive of a person you were, your carnal nature wanted to sin. That, whether it's lying, cheating, stealing, gossiping, whatever, and, and our, our carnal nature, our soulish man, even after we're born again, how many of you find we still have those old carnal things hanging on to us? We still have, maybe if you were a liar before, you still have some lying issues to deal with. Maybe you were an alcoholic. And, and yes, do I believe that Jesus can set us free instantaneously from some of those things? Absolutely. But there is a reality here at work, and this is what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians. He says, but we are uh, bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And there is this, there is this reality of sanctification that must take place in our personal lives when it comes to our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so what that begins to look like is you, you, you walk in the Spirit step by step. God, I have, a, I have a problem with emoting. Maybe you just emote all over the place. You just live by your emotions. Everywhere you go, you live by your emotions. Your emotions were created to glorify God. Just like your mind was created to glorify God, your will, your, your mind, will, and emotions, all of it. Your, your spirit man, you were created to glorify God, but your carnal nature comes out, and instead of glorifying God, you get all depressed and sad. Well, you don't know what they said to me. I'm just going gonna, gonna to go crawl in my bed and cover up and don't want anybody to see me, and I'm going to isolate myself, and I'm going to be depressed. And nobody can pull me out of my depression. Nobody's ever said that before, I'm sure. And so that, that is our carnal nature. Amen. That's our carnal nature. And so we have to go through this process of sanctification. Sanctification is a continual process in our lives. It's an everyday journey where God has to deal with our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we continue. And then there's our body. Our body or our flesh, again, prior to salvation, was in bondage and sin to death. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, For we know that if, we, if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. And so this, and I probably say naked funny, so I apologize, that's southern. But anyway, and so our, the, this scripture, Paul says that we have this earthly nature, our earthly bodies are groaning for the redemption of our, of our Savior. And until that happens, our, there is this constant battle, this constant war between our, our carnal nature, our flesh, and, and the uh, Spirit of God in us. And so understanding these words, what, is, what do these, these terms mean? Justification, sanctification, all of these things that we're talking about. Two Bible words that you need to understand as it relates to walking in the Spirit of God. If you want to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God in your life, you need to understand these two words. And the first one is justification. And this is what justification means. It means that it, the record, we, you and I were guilty you and I were guilty of, of, the, of the things that were accused against us. Well, you were a liar, you were a cheater, you were a stealer, you were a robber, you were all of these things. You broke the commandments. The Bible says that if you've broken one, you're guilty of them all. And so every single one of us in this room this morning, and everybody listening by podcast and the website, everybody is guilty of sin. And when we receive the gift, when we come to Christ and He draws us in and we yield to, to His work in our life, we, we begin to take on the nature of Christ. He, the Bible says that He then justifies us. He declares us justified and we receive that by faith, saying, you were guilty of the sin you committed, but I'm declaring you legally justified. You're legally free from the consequence of your sin. And that's what justification is. And so we've got to understand. So why do we get excited about our salvation? Why do, we, why do people get excited? Why are people clapping about justification? Because it means that I was, I had I bore the consequence of my sin on my own. I was guilty and the consequence of that I was carrying. But when I accept the work of Christ, the final work of Christ on Calvary, he became, the Bible says, my propitiation. That word meaning that he became my sacrifice. When I accept and yield to his work in my life and yield to that, he then begins to transform my life and the, the guilt and the consequence of my sin is removed and the nature of Christ is imparted into me. Amen. And then there's the second Bible word is sanctification. And this word, again, is taking place in our mind, our will, and emotions. And this is our cooperation with the Holy Spirit to transform us into Christ's image. Now, you can look at your neighbor right now and tell them you're not perfect. I give you permission to tell your spouse you're not perfect. Everyone in this room is undergoing a process of sanctification. Everyone in this room, we all have issues. Said this from the beginning. Every single one of us in this room has something in our life that God is working on, that, that the Holy Spirit's putting His finger on. If you ever get comfortable, if you ever find yourself in a place where the Holy Spirit's not poking at your heart about something, you've probably grown cold or stagnant. Because the Holy Spirit is always at work 
saying you need to look a little bit like more like me. Come a little closer. Come a little closer, Bob. You need to get a little bit further into the fire, Bob. Come a little bit closer, Sam. You need to get into the fire just a little bit more. You need to look a little bit more like Jesus. And so there's always something in our lives that we are going through in the sanctification process. We shouldn't be scared of that or, or afraid of that. We should welcome that and, and realize that God is at work in our lives. 2 Corinthians 1.10 says this, if you go in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. says, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us? He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Now, this verse is a great picture of the sanctifying work of God in our lives. He has delivered us. That's our spirit man being regenerated. When you were born again, as we say, that's the Bible term, that you're born again, that you are regenerated. Your spirit man's made alive, so he has delivered us. He will deliver us. This is our soulish man on a continual journey of sanctification. And then he will yet deliver us as our body being glorified at Christ's coming. We are looking, as we sang this morning, we are looking forward to the coming of Christ. We look with expectancy and hope that we will yet be delivered. In Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 14, it says, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Again here, we see this one offering. It's the spirit regeneration at salvation. We're born again at salvation. He has perfected us forever, meaning that we are being glorified. Our, there's a continual process of sanctification. And, and there, is a, uh, there is a day coming at, at Christ's coming where we will be ultimately glorified. And then, of course, being sanctified, our soul is being sanctified. So as we're on this journey, y'all with me this morning, we are walking in the Spirit. Understanding these things are, is understanding how you and I are to walk in the Spirit of God. Galatians 5 and verse 17 says this. I'll give you time to turn on your phones or in your Bibles. I don't hear very many pages turning. I, I, love, to hear the, I, I love to hear this sound. I don't know if you can hear it. I love hearing that sound. These days we have phone sounds. So I would, I would encourage you, have your Bible, though, with you when you come to church, whether it's on your phone or, or the hard copy. Have it. I like having the hard copy because I can write and make notes, but I realize you can do that on technology these days as well. Galatians 5.17 says this, For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. You can see the war that's raging here. You can see the opposition that's at work here in this verse in Galatians. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Have you ever found yourself, maybe like Paul said, you know you need to do this, but you find yourself doing the complete opposite? You, you know that you need to bless those who persecute you. Instead, you find yourself chewing them out or saying things you shouldn't say, or maybe even saying them under your breath. And so this is the sanctification process. So let's talk about this. The mind has to be renewed. Romans 12, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, that you need the transforming work, the renewing work of God in your mind. This is how our soulish man is sanctified. Your mind has to be renewed by the word of God. If you're not putting the Word of God into your mind and renewing your mind, you will continue on a path of destruction and bondage. Yeah. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with an addiction or there's something particular in your life that you find yourself continually rehashing. I would encourage you, go in the Bible, find scriptures that pertain to what it is you're struggling with and memorize those verses. You don't hear much taught in, in church these days about memorizing scripture. Get yourself some three by five cards and write out those verses and put those index cards everywhere you go and memorize the word of God and get the word in you and it will begin to renew your mind. Instead of having stinking thinking, as they say, instead of, instead of always thinking the negative and always having the negative emotions and always living in the negative and carnal nature, you begin to think and have the mind of Christ. What does this look like? Well, when you come to church and you don't feel like worshiping and you stand there and pick your nose, nobody does that. I'm just saying... That when you come to church and you stand there and, and you, well, I don't feel like worshiping today. Well, I don't know about you, but there are times where my, my natural man does not feel like doing a lot of things it's supposed to do. There are days I don't feel like doing the dishes. There are days I don't feel like taking care of Zoe. There, there are days that I don't feel like coming to the office. There, there are days, I'm just being honest, there are days, can we be honest in church? There are days that I don't feel like doing... The things that I'm supposed to do. And so we have to begin to fill ourselves with the word of God. And when we come into church and, and we don't feel like worshiping or we don't feel like whatever, fill in the gap. This is what the word of God says. God is worthy of my praise. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I've got to get up and take care of my house and be a good steward. The Word of God talks about being a good steward. I need to steward the things that God's given me. And you begin to speak. Sometimes you just have to begin to speak the Word of God over your life and get it out of, out of even just your thinking. And you need to hear yourself. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. You've got to speak that Word so that you hear yourself and begin to take action to those things. Then there's this dilemma. Once you know the truth... You're held accountable for that truth. The Bible talks about to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him it is sin. So there is this other reality at work here that once you begin to get the, the reality of the gospel into your mind to reject to do it, you're now living in a compromising situation and you're only digging yourself deeper into a hole. And so it would behoove you greatly that as you begin to read the word, do what it says. <laughs> That's living the Spirit-filled life. This is very practical. I, I don't know if you came to church this morning expecting some super spiritual message, but this is very practical. This is the foundation of Christianity, that you and I ought to live a Spirit-filled life and have this daily journey of sanctification in our mind. And then secondly, our will. Our will has to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led. Our will needs to be Spirit-led. Spirit if you have your Bibles, go to Romans. Romans chapter 8, Romans 8 verse 14 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so you and I, very clearly here, should be led by the Spirit of God. What does that mean? In Psalms, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I always thought that that meant that God would give me a Cadillac, a large home, you know, lots of money. 
That's not necessarily what that scripture means. The, what that scripture means is as you begin to worship God and you begin to delight in Him, He begins to put desires in your heart. He begins to put His desires in your heart. Have you ever found yourself uh, in a situation where you thought, God, you are absolutely crazy. I would never do that in a million years. Maybe it's God challenging you to, to step out and witness and, and minister to somebody. Maybe, maybe God's challenging you to, to give like you've never given before extravagantly or whatever the case is, and you're thinking to yourself, God, this has got to be the devil. I know this is not you. But as you find yourself in a place of worshiping Him and yielding to the Spirit of God at work in your life, He begins to place those desires in you, and then you begin to act on those things, and you begin to see the supernatural touch of God in your life and the provision of God in your life to do what He challenged you to do. So we've got to be Spirit-led in our will. Instead of saying, this is what I want, and this is how I'll handle this situation, God, let me, let me tell you, I, I would imagine that that Ananias, when he heard from God, hey, Ananias, there's a man named Saul, and you need to go and minister to him. You're going to prophesy over him, and I'm going to use him to do great things for the kingdom. I'm sure at that point, Ananias probably thought, God, you have lost your mind. Do you know who Saul is? Do you remember God? Saul just killed Stephen. Saul was re responsible for the martyr of all these Christians. Saul, I think, or God, I think you've lost your mind. Do you really know who Saul is? Let me offer you information, God, that you weren't originally aware of, that Saul's a bad guy, and he's probably not somebody we want on our team. I know I would say that. I would probably offer God information he didn't already know. And so Ananias goes and lays hands on Paul. And Paul begins, he, Paul takes up the mantle of Stephen's preaching and begins to go and preach salvation. Lays hands on people and they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's because of Paul's ministry that you and I are even here today. And so sometimes if we will just allow our will to be spirit-led, you will see your life impacting and making a difference in others' lives that you wouldn't have thought originally possible because you're being spirit-led. And then there's our emotions. I love this one. A lot of times we neglect in church the reality of our emotions and how they are to glorify God. If you go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, Verse 21 says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. <laughs> so there's, so, you know, we have this idea, I'm sorry, that was Matthew 5, that works too, but I'll read verse 21 of Matthew 6 as well. That verse works for what we're talking about as well. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. See, you just got to be spirit-led, and you just, you just never know where you'll end up in the Bible. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so both of these verses apply here, Matthew 5 and 6, 21, about uh, dealing with our anger and then our, our treasure being where our heart is. And so our emotions are connected with our treasure, what we value. And so if you, if you value the, the kingdom of God... If you value the things of God, then your emotions, your heart, your emotions 
will be there as well. So when I, when I value worship, I don't worship, I don't worship God just with my tongue. I don't worship God just with actions. I worship God in my emotions as well. I am excited. I am jubilant. I am joyful. I am happy to worship God. Why? Because I have value. I, I place value on my relationship with God and who God is. And so my emotions, therefore, follow. It's okay to be emotional about God. Amen. Amen. It's okay to respond to God with our emotions. Philippians chapter 4. I love this scripture. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. And the peace of God. Everybody say peace of God. Peace. And the peace of God. Now, let me just pause there. Peace of God. Emotion of God. The peace of God. The emotion of peace of God. God has emotions. This is, very, this is in the Bible right here. Peace of God. God has, a lot of times we, we have this uh, impression that God is an angry God, sits in, heaven with, sits in the heaven with an angry stick and beats you up every time you do something wrong. That, that's not true. God is not an angry God. The Bible says, actually, the Bible says that God sits in the heavens and laughs. He's a happy God. God is a very happy God. Heaven is a happy place. The other half of you will be very disappointed when you get to heaven. <laughs> Heaven's not quiet and it's not depressing. Heaven is happy and full of the peace and joy of God. Matter of fact, Paul said in Romans that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Okay, just making sure you're all reading your Bibles. Philippians 4. Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In other words, there is, there is an emotional place with God that you and I can go that our natural mind and natural emotions can't comprehend. That you can begin to take on the, the emotional nature of God instead of, instead of getting grumpy and grouchy about life you can take on the emotional character of God and have the peace of God, the joy of God, and your natural mind, your natural emotions just don't comprehend it. How can people laugh in church? Well, why do people cry in church? <laughs> I, I've never understood that. I've had people, since we've been here, I've had people get mad at me for laughing in church. I don't understand that. You would rather me stand up here and cry than be joyful in church. People understand the depressing and the, the, the agonizing, and there is a place for crying. But as just as there is a place for the, to the response to God in our crying, there is a response to God in our laughing. Somebody said, amen. Somebody said, well, where's that at in the Bible? I love that. That usually tells me they're not reading their Bible, and they're expecting me to read it for them. And so, very simply, Psalms 126, I've read it probably half a dozen times since we've been here. He fills my mouth with laughter. Ha, 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 ha. That's what that looks like. He laugh, you laugh when he fills your mouth. It's okay. I'm just helping you. I'm just helping you this morning. Don't get mad. You need to sanctify your emotions this morning if you're getting mad. 
And then, of course, there's our body. If you go to Titus, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. This is referencing how we act in our bodies. This is, what the, this, this is the Bible. I'm, I'm reading to you from Scripture this morning. I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible says, how we are to act in our bodies. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking, everybody say looking, for the blessed hope, that's, that's the Bible term for the coming of Christ, that we are to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Now, I just I want to teach on this verse quickly from Titus. This is a pastoral, if you will, a pastoral epistle from Paul. And, and he's addressing how the church ought to live. He says that we, by the grace of God, again, we see the sanctifying work in effect in our bodies through grace. We're seeing the grace of God uh, accomplishing this work of sanctification, the grace of God, the charisma of God, the grace of God at work in our lives. It's not something that you and I do in our own selves. How many of you have ever tried to stop doing something on your own ability and just failed miserably? You tried to stop an addiction or whatever and it just failed. We all have, I'm sure. There, there, are, there are all of us, all of us have areas of our life where we've tried and said, God, I need you to be glorified and you struggle and struggle and struggle and it just doesn't seem to break through. Just don't seem, why? Because it's not our natural ability to live in freedom, our carnal nature. It's our carnal nature at work within us, and it's striving. And so this is what Paul says. He says you need grace. You need the grace of God at work in your life. You can't make the grace of God work in your life. You can only yield to it. I'll say that again. You cannot make the grace of God work in your life. You can only yield to it. It's by grace through faith that you are saved. It's not of yourselves, lest no man should boast. It's not by works, Ephesians 2 says. It is a gift of God. It's the working of God in yours and I's life. It's the, it's the touch of God, the grace of God. We yield to His grace and say, God, I'm struggling in this area of my life. I, I'm having an emotional problem or I, I have a problem with my will. My will wants to do this and I know your word says this and I want to walk in the spirit, but there's conflict in my life. God, all I know to do is yield. I can't fix it. I can't change it. I just need you to work in my life. And the grace of God begins to take effect in your life. And then he goes on. Paul says here, he, he goes on and says in verse um, 11, For by grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, it's okay to tell yourself no. Denying ungodliness. When the grace of God begins to have its effect in your life, you, you have then this ability by grace to say, you know what, this isn't, this isn't the will of God for me. My, my will has been liberated to glorify God. My body has been liberated to glorify God. And doing this does not glorify God. It is not 
living ungodly. It's not living free of worldly lust. It's not living soberly. And so I say no. Let's try that this morning. Everybody say no. Now somebody in here is being very carnal and you're not submitting to the grace of God this morning. And so we're going to do this again. We're going to everybody say no. You learn to tell yourself no, that I'm going to live according to the Spirit. I am going to walk in the Spirit. As you begin to become comfortable and understand the justification of God in your life, you will cooperate with God in His sanctifying work in your life. When you understand that I am born again, I have the life of God in me, God has chosen me, He has set me free, He has redeemed my life from the pit. No longer is this a conflict of God's just mad at me and He's out to beat me up and I'm a horrible person, I'm a miserable wretch, I can't get free, I can't live free, I don't understand walking in the Spirit, I just don't get this. And, and it, it's no longer negative, man, I'm a horrible person because I don't pray in the Spirit, I'm a horrible person because I'm not witnessing to my neighbor, I'm a horrible person. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> when you begin to understand that you are justified by God through faith, you, bury the, you carry the image of Christ in your life that he's chosen you, redeemed you, then you understand that the rest of this journey, Jesus is going to be sanctifying your life. The Holy Spirit's going to be coming along saying, you need to look a little bit more like Jesus today. You need see this area of your, of your will? We need to get this conformed a little bit more to the will of the Father. See this area of your life? that in your emotions needs to look a little bit more like Jesus' emotions. And you begin to go through this transforming work of the Spirit of God. But you have to walk with the Spirit. You have to walk in the Spirit of God. This is when we talk about living a Spirit-filled life. This is what living a Spirit-filled life is all about. Living in, in this ongoing journey with God. Living full of the supernatural power of God at work in your life. And then as you begin to do that, as you begin this journey with God, He makes so much more available to you and I. It's not just humdrum, boring Christianity, and we go to church on Sunday to check something off of our checklist. This is every day of our lives. Every day we wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Holy Spirit, let's go on this journey together. Good morning, Holy Spirit, what do you got for me today? God, what are you doing in my life today? Who do you have for me to minister today? How can I look a little bit more like you today? Oh God, that area of my life, yeah, that hurts a little bit. Can you stop poking that for a little bit? That's starting to hurt. I'm starting to get a bruise there. You've poked on it good enough. And then all of a sudden you go to church. And, and what happens at church? The pastor preaches on the very thing that the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you about. You say, okay, God, obviously the grace of God's at work in my life. What do I need to do to this? Oh, pastor gives an altar call. That means I need to go down to the altar and say, more, Lord. Y'all missed that opportunity. More. And, and I need to go down to the altar call. Why do we do altar calls? It gives you an opportunity to come forward and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And, you know, this is, I'll segue, and I'll chase a little bunny trail here real quick, and I'll get back on and wrap up the message. But, you know, I realize a lot of folks don't understand, you know, why we do altar calls, and what's the point of that? You know, generally, altar calls are for people who have issues in their life, right? 
So everybody who has an issue, they, you know, they need to get born again. They go up to the altar. They must have a problem in their life. And so everybody's watching because they have problems in their life, right? Well, yeah, somebody said it. Everybody's got issues. <laughs> and so, so when God begins to poke at your heart and he's been dealing with you through the week, and, and he's been poking on a particular area of your life and challenging you in a particular area, sanctifying you, working to sanctify you. At the altar call on the Sunday morning, the pastor preaches on it, God deals with you. You come to the altar and say, okay, God, I get it. You're dealing with this area of my emotions or, or my will that's not aligning to your will or how my life needs to look more like you. Or maybe just the fact that I just need more of you. Maybe, maybe the simple truth is today you just need more of him. And so the altar is not a scary place, it's a, it's a place to say, okay, God, I got it. I'm going to yield to you today. It's not my mind, it's not my strength, but it's the Spirit of God at work in my life. And then, of course, you know, I could continue chasing that bunny trail just a little further. I might. Well, I don't want to... <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, you know, don't want to fall out, and I don't want to get emotional, and I don't want to end up on the floor, and I don't want... Time out. Who said, and I'm just going to address this just for a moment, and then I'll move on. Who said that you were going to fall on the floor when you came down here? Who said that you had to get emotional when you came down here? We've never said that. We've never required that. That's, that's not even the Bible. It's not required that you have to fall on the floor. It's not required that you have to shake. It's not required that you have to run. It's not, requir it's not required that you have to come to church. It's not required that you have to read your Bible. It's not required any of those things are not required. If, if you start living Christianity as a requirement, if everything you do in Christianity is a requirement, you're living a religious facade and not the real deal. Because when you have the real thing, it doesn't matter what happens at the altar. It doesn't matter what people think. You're in love with Jesus. <laughs> well, now that I've officially stepped on everybody's toes, I probably should wrap up my message. Grace, you can come on up. Walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. You know, we, I am excited, and I say we, Heather and I, are excited about all that God is doing here at this church. We're excited about what God's doing in your life. We have seen and heard so many testimonies of all that God is doing, transforming people and, and, and bringing up issues that haven't been dealt with in years or restoring hope or joy. I was, I was laughing a Facebook post with Alicia and Chris the other day, some of you may have seen it, and Alicia was asking Chris to pray for her, and he prayed for her, and I, my comment on Facebook was, was he laughing the entire time? <laughs> I, I'll, and I won't forget the first service that we came, I thought we weren't even voted in yet, I think we were just here preaching, and I remember the joy of the Lord coming on Chris and Alicia just so powerfully, it was awesome, and he hasn't stopped laughing since. And Chris, Chris is a pretty shy, quiet guy, so, you know, he wouldn't necessarily was, you know. And then Sunday night, you know, we had a, man, we had a phenomenal service Sunday night. If you missed, if you missed Sunday night, wow. There was, I thought I was in a different, I, I literally thought I was in a different place. I mean, it, we were in heaven. And, 
you know, we were up on the stage, and, and hopefully I won't embarrass anybody, but we were up on the stage. I had come through probably three or four times praying for people and went up and started grabbing. We had a choir and started grabbing people out of the choir. And here's, you know, Megan's up there, and Tony's helping catch and different things. So he's, he's on our team serving, and Megan's up there in the choir. I just look at Megan. and it wasn't anything it wasn't anything significant we were standing right here and they were holding hands I said just hold hold hands with me it was no big deal we were just enjoying Jesus right that's all we do we just enjoy Jesus that's what we were created to do right enjoying so we're just holding hands and literally 30 seconds she's on the floor no big deal Tony's standing there crying like a baby. Tony doesn't cry like a baby. He can barely stand. He's, barely, he's been over crying, supposed to be helping catch people. Wasn't doing a very good job. He was failing miserably. He's crying. And I look at him and said, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm like, buddy, you're not okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. No, really, you're not okay. It's okay. It's okay. I've said that before. It's awesome. Walking in the Spirit is an awesome journey. It's an awesome life. It's the life we were called to live. And so I just want to encourage you, go deeper. Press in, press in a little closer. Somebody said, well, I've seen people supposedly come into church, fall on the floor, get touched by God, supposedly walking the Spirit-filled life, and they go out and they live like the devil. Yep. I've seen that too. I've seen people get off the floor and curse people out on the way out the church. I've seen it. Does that mean that it's not real? Or does that mean that they have some carnality that they're, they're being sanctified through? That, that, that just might mean that maybe, maybe this is laying on the floor is just another step in the journey of being sanctified and, and God dealing with those areas of their heart. Maybe them laughing or experiencing a touch from God. Because the last time I checked... You probably weren't perfect either. And so this coming up and receiving from God and, and receiving from God in our daily lives is just another step in the journey for all of us to look a little bit more like Him. So how dare I say anything about anybody because I probably need to be the first one to get changed and transformed a little bit more myself. <laughs>